Hello everybody and welcome to episode 7 of Too Tough to Die. My name's Mitch and I'm fucked up, dude, mentally. Uh, my shit is not going well. Life is, I mean, life's fine, but my head is in such a bad place right now. I've been going to see a counselor every week. Uh, I was having these like real intense panic attacks and bursts of anger kind of things and I couldn't control it and it was affecting my personal life my family life and which those are the same thing but it was really bad like uh i was snapping on the kids and and just being angry and uh, my wife is getting sick of my shit <laughs> i just felt bad and i had to do something about it i had to go see somebody and i mean like i was panic emailing counselors left and right and like going on psychologytoday.com and all this shit not that i was in any danger hurting anybody or myself or anything like that or like and like my outbursts weren't that awful I was just in like a constant state of frustration and I couldn't do anything to control it so I had to you know it's been about I don't know two and a half three years since I saw anybody about that kind of stuff and they put me on a bunch of pills last time and I didn't like the way they made me feel and I'm I'm afraid of medication uh, because of my past and suicide attempts, I was medicated in both, you know, combined with alcohol, which I'm in no danger of drinking that shit anytime soon. But it's just, there's a, something back there telling me to go see somebody. So I did. I uh, diagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder. I still haven't been able to go to the doctor for meds or anything like that. But they started doing this uh, kind of therapy where they, you hold these little electrode type things and it get, it's not a shock but it's like just a vibration like a kinetic thing and so you think of a, a bad memory in detail and then get fast pulses and then you think of a good memory or like I found a you know like a safe place that I wanted like I really wanted to be in uh, which is in the wilderness and you have to envision it and you get like in every deep detail you can think of and you get a slow pulse while you're doing that. And so you, eventually you'll, I guess you get the slow pulse when, you, when you're when you having the, doing the bad memories and stuff. So it like reprograms your brain. Something like that. I don't really know. I'm just shooting bullshit because like, my head is so fucked up, man. My thoughts are hard to get together and it's hard for me to be around people. I'm pretty social, uh, but now I don't even want to, I don't want to go out. I don't want to do anything. I had to stop doing the open mics. Gave up on all that stuff because it was just, oh, it was fucked up. Like there was an incident one night where this drunk kid was heckling the dude on stage and he ripped him apart, man. You know, the guy on stage really gave the heckler a hard time. Uh, but then he started getting aggressive and it looked, you know, like people were circling him and I'm sure nothing would, they would have just escorted him out, but I took it upon myself to intervene and walked him out of the building and all this kind of stuff. And then I went to the next mic and just felt real uncomfortable, like I didn't belong there. And I was getting kind of some static from the guy who runs the thing, and which I'm sure he just, you know, he sees people come and go all the time. And he, he ain't trying to make friends with new guys until somebody sticks around. And then I'm sure you can develop a relationship with him. But for me, that was enough to make me not want to be there. I was doing it for fun, and these guys are doing it for career, you know. They're, they're building something more. 
those stages just weren't right for me. Like, everybody's up there doing material, and I'm bringing these fucked up stories, and billet events were good, but I don't even want to do those anymore. I just can't do it. Uh, uh, Not right now. Not with the way my head is. That's sad, but... uh, This motherfucker. Anyway, my computer froze up and started acting funny. I hate when it does that. Probably get a Mac. (laughs) So I just didn't feel welcome there. Uh, Everybody else was pretty welcoming, but it's just that guy, man. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't know if I'm putting that off on him or just an excuse for me to not want to do it. I don't know. I'm not comfortable with it. Things have been bad. Like, uh, even doing the things that I normally enjoy are no fun to me anymore. And driving is hard because I'm constantly afraid of being pulled over. And I'm struggling big time. But I got an appointment to see a psychiatrist for meds and stuff next week. And hopefully that'll work out. I'm just nervous about it. But enough of that. Well, not enough. I just wanted to give you guys an update on what's going on with me, why I hadn't been posting. This has been going on for three or four months now. And that's why I hadn't been doing anything. I just ain't got it. It's just not there. Um, But I had to force myself to record something uh, because I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. You know, like the ability to do it, not lose my mind. (sighs) I lost that a long time ago. This episode is entitled Rehab Sucks. I've been a couple of times, uh, but this is more about the first time and the consequences leading up to that, like why I had to go and and all that kind of stuff. It all began, uh, I had already had several DUIs and and, uh, my adopted father had helped me kind of sway the law and get out of a lot of stuff. I really had like six or seven at that point, Uh, but this is when I get my third for, for a real one, first felony. I'd been hanging out with a group of guys for a while. Uh, you know, like I would switch groups and we hang out with the meth group for a little while, hang out with the coke group for a little while, just the weed guys and then the drunk guys. And then, you know, like that's just what I did. I would go through phases where I would pick up a group and then drop a group and pick up another one. Um, but I was heavy drinking at this point, a case a day, liquor on the weekends. And I kept that up for a long time. I don't even remember where I was working at the time. Or if I, I mean, I was super drunk all the time back then. I had alienated a lot of people, too. My buddy who hit the horse that time was in the halo. Uh, we were all hanging out, and we got a... Uh, I heard this rumor about this legendary party that was going down, and, and uh, we wanted to go, but we had fucked up and started drinking way too early. Like, nobody wanted to drive out there. Uh, it was out in Becker. And uh, finally, I convinced everybody. I was like, fuck it. You know, let's go. Let's go party. Uh, and he was willing to go, and so we we got in the uh, Dirty Sanchez, which is a 1981 Subaru station wagon. That was my stepfather's. This would be my my stepdad's car that he'd let me drive, and I'd already been busted in it twice for weed. Maybe once for weed and once for driving on suspended license. Um, I don't know. But I was driving it as my mode of transportation. So we take off in the Dirty Sanchez, deemed so because it smelled like shit. <laughs> and... Uh, we're heading to Becker, and I missed the fucking turn, man. And uh, the, I went to turn around on, like, this old abandoned uh, machine shop parking lot, and there's a fucking sheriff's deputy sitting right there. I had to do, like, a three- or four-point turn, and it was a stick shift, and I was fucked up, man. I was already at probably 18 beers in. Uh, and I fucked it all up. And then as I was trying to pull out, there's a huge line of cars coming. So then I had to sit there and wait. 
And then as soon as I pulled out and turned down the road and they realized I was going to the party, he pulls me over. Son, you've been drinking, and I'm honest when it comes to the law. <laughs> and I was like, of course I've been drinking, you know. I mean, he knew my name, I think. All right, Mitch, get out of the car. My buddy, he wasn't really drunk, so they let him take the vehicle, I think. I can't remember. Oh, I was so fucked up. But most definitely went to jail, and that was my third DUI. Uh, but because I had been in so much trouble, they I had to stay there. Uh, I sat there for, uh, shit, I don't even know. It felt like six weeks, something like that, before I could even get a bond here, and they wouldn't give me one. They just left me in there. Uh, and now this is in the old county jail, um, Monroe County. It was way different back then. It was like the type of bars on the door and stuff. And it was it was laid back. You could smoke and, and you could have people like everybody had a TV in there. Like there wasn't a TV mounted on the wall. You could have your family members bring a TV in. And at that time, I had a huge DVD collection. That's basically what I, other than beer, that's what I spent all my money on. So I had a ton of movies brought in after I realized I was going to be there for a while. I had a bunch of movies brought in and everything. And, uh, so I was kind of the hit on the zone, and it wasn't but like eight people in there, maybe something like that. Uh, I was in there with the with the other Mitch, a buddy of mine that I grew up with, who got in much more trouble than I ever thought of. He had a much harder life than me too, um, but we were in there together, so that was kind of cool. You know, I had a buddy in there, and he would hook me up with smokes, and and I eventually got some money in there, and and like then you. Could, like holler at the trustees in the middle of the night and they go get you a sack of weed it was just w- way different back then uh and so like people were drinking smoking weed partying get volumes that took a few volumes uh to get over my uh, like uh, dts from the alcohol and stuff uh, but i was in there for a while and like couldn't afford bond or anything because like felony bond for 30 ui i think 30 ui is like five grand I don't even know. It was a lot more than I had. And I'd spent all my cash money while I was in there. <laughs> and uh, so there's no way I could get out. Nobody was willing to put up the money. And uh, finally my adopted dad, he uh, talked to uh, the sheriff and convinced him to let me out on a $25 signature bond, <laughs> which is fucked. You know, like nobody ever gets that good. I mean, talk about your privilege, you know. And I was quick to abuse that shit too. Uh, so I paid twenty five bucks and signed my name, saying I would show up for court, and that's how I got out. Uh, and it was postponed for about a year. I got a public defender, and I think I paid her a hundred bucks because um, nobody. I mean, it was I blew like two point two zero or something. You know, I always blow like a fucking moron, except for my last UI. This was not my last UI, <laughs> uh, but uh. I blew pretty heavy and and guaranteed DUI, Um, but the whole thing was maybe we could plea it down, get out of the felony, that kind of stuff. And so she postponed it for like a year, and then it come down, yeah, no, you're not getting out of this one. Best we can do for you is house arrest. So I was going to get a year of house arrest. A way to get out of that is to go into long-term rehab. So you don't have to put the bracelet on, but you're actually doing the time. And so I found a rehab uh, that seemed nice to me, and it was a nice place. And, you know, leather couches and all that stuff <laughs> smelled like old drunks, though. Uh, and it was expensive. Uh, I think it was thousand bucks or more. Probably I got some kind of uh, low-income deal to get me in there. Uh, but based on that, you know, 
uh, the judge was cool with that, let me go in. And then, um, the day of sentencing, I was freaking the fuck out, you know, because I didn't know what this was like. And and uh, you sat there forever, and then they brought everybody up. It was like, all right, now that we're done with all these small-time fish, all you upcoming felons stand up. And there's like 20 of us in a row, and they read you all this stuff. You understand that you're losing your right to this, to that, to that. You know, I lost my right to vote, lost my right to bear arms, lost my right to fucking, I couldn't even leave the state, county, none of that shit. Can't participate in government. Uh, can't get a government job. You can't, which I wouldn't want, but it severely limits you for the rest of your life. Which, I mean, with all the DUIs and shit, I had it coming. You know, like, I got no complaints about that. That was, fuck you, you know, who, who, Knows how many people I could have killed on the road. All those times I was drunk driving. And that wasn't even the drunkest I'd ever been behind the wheel. You know, and, and so they stand you up there and they ask you the question. Then everybody, you go down the line and say, Mr. So-and-so, Miss So-and-so, Mr. Thing. You know, like, yes, I understand. Yes, I understand. Yes, I understand. And he just fucking goes. There's like 20 or 30 of those things where they have to lay out all the shit that's going on. Then after the sentencing... Uh, you know, they give me a year house arrest and five years probation and the fine and all that shit and uh, you'll be remanded into your rehab, blah, blah, blah. So I go and talk to the house arrest guy and he tells me how that's all going to be. And uh, I think I had like two or three days before I had to go in. So I decided I was going to party it up, you know, and get super fucked up because I ain't going to get to do this again. I'm pretty sure it is coke, some meth. Took a bunch of pills um, and drank like a fish. Man, I'm talking about drunk. I was drunk when they brought me in there. Uh, and, you know, they took me to rehab and, and you pack like, because I was going to be in there for, I went long term, so I was going to be in there at least four months. Um, you do 42 days, uh, clean you up kind of shit. And then you go over to the other side where you work. It's like to to slowly bring you back into the world. Uh, and so when you get there, they search through all your shit, and they took some of my books and stuff. Like, I brought a Rollins book in there, and they're like, I don't know if you can have this. This might be too inflammatory for you right now. And I'm like, what the fuck have I signed up for? I mean, it's better than prison, but goddamn. Had a picture of the devil on the front, and so they were weird about it. Because that's the other thing, too, about 12-step programs and things like that. Heavy God shit. I mean, it is just all in your face. And it, I mean that's fine if that's what if you believe in that kind of stuff, but I don't. No, most definitely didn't at the time. But they really push it on you, and you're very vulnerable at that time too. And and uh, I kind of I don't agree with that. I always had a problem with that, um, especially AA. Uh, you go in there and you're at your lowest, and then they just throw God at you. And I mean, like you, you learn to build yourself up and find out who you are again, and define yourself as a person running to God is I mean that's just a band-aid they bring you in and they search through all your stuff and, and check make sure you aren't bringing any dope in which I'm sure is a thing people do but I'm not and uh so I was offended by it and that's so fucked up that you think shit like that but after they finally get checked in and they and uh, they make sure you eat you have to eat a big meal you know like all the food in there is heavy carbs heavy fattening food because a lot of the people coming in there are junkies and stuff, crackheads and or crack addicts or whatever. Um, I mean, I'm not placing judgment on anybody or what they do. It's just the food is designed to fatten you up because you're probably starving. 
course, I wasn't. I was about 250 back then. Biggest I'd ever been. Uh, but I felt like shit, man, because I was fucking hungover and, and detin and, and it was rough. So I get my bunk, and it's kind of like a dorm room. You got two beds and a roommate, and they bring you in and tell you all the rules, and you got to, like, cleanliness is key, and your bed has to be made hospital corners and bounce a quarter on it and no naps and all this. You got to stay awake all day. It's all training to to make you, get you back normal, or as normal as you can be. Uh, but the first day, they kind of take it easy on you, and I was struggling. I went in there and slept for half the day and then puked up blood a bunch. Like, uh, for the first day or two, I was puking a lot, all that kind of stuff. But after a while, you start feeling better, and, and uh, they're always having meetings and classes that you have to go to to kind of explain to you what your head's like. You know, like, there is a lot of education in there as far as, the mind of an alcoholic or a drug addict or why you do the things you do and and trying to understand your true motivations behind that and getting to the to the core of why you make these decisions and trying to remedy that uh it's pretty intense man especially at the 42 day cleanup you get real agitated with everybody in there and you just oh you hate it but hate everybody uh but that's part of it is is uh, just learning to be a person again, um, and like all the chores and stuff, like um, you had to clean and mop and and you know like you, there's a wing commander is what they call it, <laughs> uh, but the wing commander assigns all the chores and so like your first week you get the shit duty like cleaning the bathroom or something fucked up. Then your next week, you get something else, sweeping or dusting or whatever. And, like, it all has to be done twice a day. You get up in the morning, you got to do that shit. After everybody takes a shower, you got to go in there and clean behind them. And all that. And, like, even when you take a shower, you got to wipe uh, wipe the tub down with a towel and everything. Everybody has to do that to keep, like, because who knows what the fuck these motherfuckers got coming in here, you know. Like, I mean... There's some rough characters, so especially in the in the 42 day section. The no nap stuff was rough because like they're feeding you all this heavy food and all this kind of stuff, but you can't rest because they don't want you to be lazy. And I don't know, it's it's tough, but it's a nice place. Like they had a volleyball and and a good little bit of yard back there, and you can go out and smoke whenever you want within reason. And I mean, it wasn't bad at all. Uh, I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> it was just as nice being in touch with myself again, you know, like having a sober mind again is is it's refreshing and terrifying at the same time, but it's necessary uh to get you back together. Now, uh there are some funny parts about being in rehab. Uh a lot of <laughs> of relationships get started in there and it's like uh being in junior high or something because uh once you once you sober up a lot of feelings come back you know especially when i was heavy drinking i didn't have no desire to be women or anything like that but once you you get clean all that's all those old desires start coming back and everybody is at their most vulnerable uh and people start pairing off and like Without even having conversations with them, you know, like, because this 
very separated. The women are separated from you, and they keep constant eye on everybody. But shit goes down, dude. And, uh, like, they would pass notes and stuff in the hall. Like, you'd be on the phone talking to your family or whatever. There's pay phones and stuff, which is a fucking racket. Isn't that awful? They should at least just give you phone access because you got to pay so much to be in there. But, uh, you get, you'd be on the pay phone, and the women would come through for med time. Like, the, the phone for the men's is on the same aisle where everybody gets their meds. So when the girls line up for meds, people will be like, whoever's on the phone at that time is responsible for passing all the notes and shit. And I got busted one time passing a note for somebody. Uh, I just tore it up so I wouldn't get caught. But <laughs> I mean, it's fucked up the way. <laughs> like You have classes with them, but you're not really talking to them much. You know, like you can, you hear their deepest, darkest personal shit, but you don't know who they are really. Um, you know, other than the context of being in the rehab, and like you'll fall in love with them. I, I'm, I was a victim a couple of times where I would just get infatuated with people because you're looking for something to latch on to. I don't know what it is, but uh, it's fucked up. And um, I had this. Uh, There's this one old guy who stayed on his own who would drink the hairspray. His wife was a, a beautician. And she was just, every week, she was bringing in, like, huge cans of hairspray, and he would turn it upside down and get the alcohol out of it and get fucked up on that. Uh, he didn't stay there very long, maybe, like, two weeks. And he said, fuck this, and walked out the door. Because it's an open-door policy. Like, you can leave if you want to, but if you're on probation or anything like that, they're going to call the cops, and they'll come get you. Uh, if not, they just call your family and let them know that you left. Of course, I had no aspirations for doing that. Uh, but I didn't, like structure all that I mean it's like being in school again if I can ugh. you eat at this time you go to prayer at this time or, or whatever you always had to have these little meetings on your wing and talk about your feelings and how you're and that's very uncomfortable for somebody who's been pushing their feelings down for the last 20 years you know <laughs> I think well it wasn't 20 back then I was only 24 I think I can't even remember it's terrible memory's fucked up um, but I hated all that shit, and, like, getting in touch with my sober brain was hard, but I started journaling a lot then, and, and that's, some of that stuff is what I post on the website now, I hadn't really got deep into the rehab journals, because there's a lot of, like, ooh, I love this girl, and I miss it, you know, like, ugh, what a, I try to edit a lot of that stuff out, but, <sighs> I probably shouldn't, because it's, important to know what that mind was like we had to do these family sessions which were tough um my doctor dad did not come to any of them um my mom came and like we would try to work through all our bullshit and the problems i have with her spending the money and, and all that stuff with my dad and like you constantly have counseling sessions where you're just like always ripping off the band-aids of these things that you've been pushing down but after the 42-day clean-out, you go to the transition wing, uh, and that was kind of a big deal. I thought that was awesome because those guys get to go to, like, out in the world and go to meetings and stuff. They never, they took us, like, once you get to your last week of the 42 days, you get to go. Uh, but uh, once you're in the transition wing, they go, like, two, three times a week. They would go out to meetings. Sometimes they have big meetings where they have food and potlucks and stuff like that. We get to go to those like once a month, and it's pretty cool. 
uh, but they have a a job there. Like once you go into that part, it's expensive as fuck. Like I don't even know how expensive. I can't remember. I know they took a big chunk of my fucking paycheck for it. Uh, but they uh, set you up with a job uh, that's just part of the rehab just over there by the hospital in Tupelo. Uh, and it was like silly stuff like uh, putting, making up cardboard boxes all day and, and you get paid production and you get like 42 cents a box or I don't even remember. Uh, and that was really shitty. It sucked. I hated doing that. Uh, but, you know, you had to do it for a while. It was real boring. But you got to get, like, when you went on break, you got to be close to the women. And so work was a place where people would hook up and shouldn't be fucking in the bathroom and stuff. Oh, that's crazy. Not me, but people would. <laughs> so after a week or two of doing the boxes, uh, I got out of that. They had a, um, you know, as you go through it, you get more responsibility at work. And they realize, they say, oh, okay, this guy, you know, because I had kept jobs, even though I was drinking heavily. I still stayed employed most of the time. Like, I might go a week or two without a job, but I could get a job pretty easy because I'm a hard worker. They moved me on to this better paying gig where it was uh, these clips. It's like uh, in your recliner. It's this little mechanism, you know, when you pull the switch or whatever. Uh, there's these little clips that the back goes into because, you know, your recliner comes apart. Every, uh, I guess you know. Um, but this, the little clips that it slides down into, that was our job. Like, it gets this little bracket attached to it. It's got like a, a, a raised section on it, and then the bracket clips onto there. Uh, and that was a job. And you sit there all day. Like, you count them out 100 a box. And uh, there's this huge Gaylord box full of these little brackets and then smaller boxes full of clips and so you sit there and you count 100 out however many boxes you think you can do in a day count them all up separate them and then pull the clips apart because they would get all stuck together so like half of your day is prep work for the next day uh but i was pretty good at it. i could do like 35 maybe 40 boxes and there's one kid who could do 75 boxes in a day it was ridiculous but you got like $3 a box, so it was a pretty good gig, man. I was bringing home, well, not bringing home, I was making $1,500 a week or so doing that, which uh, the rehab takes like 75% of that shit. Like, you don't get much left over. And what was left, I was spending in cigarettes or uh, on the vending machine, things like that. Uh, you would always get, uh, we'd go to the bank, you know, they'd take us in the bus from the job to the bank. And everybody go in there and cash your check. And then everybody would get a roll of quarters cause for the vending machines and stuff. Because um, they're not feeding you enough fattening food, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but that was pretty good. Uh, and then you'd also get like a pass uh, where you could go home for the day. You can go home Saturday and Sunday. But you got to get stripped searched and take a piss test when you come back. Because they want you sneaking any dope in. Which people still did. But not me. I stayed sober the whole time I was there and for a pretty good bit after but uh, that was kind of strange for me going home because I didn't feel home anymore uh, it's just fucked up when you know you've gone to rehab and you kind of fucked your life up and everybody's trying to be nice to you tiptoe on eggshells and all that kind of stuff because you're fragile and they've coached them on all that uh it just didn't feel like, that was the first time home didn't feel like home to me. My sister was pregnant with her first kid at that time, I remember. 
they came and got me in the middle of the night. And so, like, I left rehab <laughs> to go see him, you know, when he was born and everything. <sighs> it's just, you know, what a fucked up time in life. After I'd done the clips for a while, they learned I would, had some sawmill experience. I'd worked, you know, cleaning up in a sawmill and running a rip saw and a bandsaw. I was pretty good with that stuff. Uh, and they had a whole sawmill section where they built uh, whirlpools, you know, like um, jacuzzis and stuff. Uh, we would build the frames, like the plywood frames for them, or we'd build pallets, things like that, running nail guns and, and heavy machinery. So I had proven myself to be a good worker, and so that was kind of a big deal. It was less money, but it was more freedom. Uh and I enjoyed it. I, I like doing that kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of more up my alley. Uh, so I did that for a pretty good while. Oh, the incident. So after I've been in there for, I don't know, four months, three months, I took an extension. Like typically you get 42 days and then two months in the transition wing and you leave. If you want to, you can sign on for an extra month. And I did. or And then when that month came up, I still wasn't ready. I told them I was afraid to go back out there. Uh, I was just all fucked up, man. Uh, and I'd already been in there so long. I took another extension. So I was in there for five months. During that last, I think it was the last month. I can't really remember. It was late one night. And we had like this, um, the place is like an octagon kind of. Uh, it's got wings that go off to each side. One ends the cafeteria, one ends the classroom, one ends the men, the transition wing, and the other ends the women. And in the center, they have a big desk, circular desk, kind of like a hospital or whatever. Uh, but that at nighttime, somebody has to man that the whole time and watch the cameras and stuff so the men don't go over to the women's side or vice versa. And like one night, my, my roommate struck up a, a relationship with a woman. And she's fucking, she snuck in through the window, like, got it, crawled out of her window, came around to the men's side, avoided the cameras, and snuck into our window, and they're banging in the bed next to me. When I'm like, what the fuck, dude? They got caught. <laughs> uh, and they had to apologize to everybody, and that dude was on probation for felony, like, meth manufacturing or some shit. I don't know whatever happened to him. But uh, he got kicked out because of it. She she was married, and her, she had to tell her husband and all that kind of stuff. I think she ended up getting divorced over it. It was fucked up. So don't, like, if you do go to rehab, don't strike up a relationship with anybody in there because it, it always ends bad. But um, this was after that. Uh, it's, we had this former doctor who was like a script doctor, you know, and also addicted to pills and shit. And uh, another lady who was pretty cool, um... They were running the the desk that night, and I don't know what it was. It just something was in the air, but they let they kind of let things be a little more free than they normally are. You know, women were in the classroom, and it was late. It was like ten thirty or eleven or so. They're in the classroom playing Pictionary, and I was like, I I came out there for something and noticed. I think I was the wing commander at that time, so I had free reign of the place a little more. Uh, and I'd helped out in the kitchen some stuff. You know, like I had a lot of responsibility while I was there. Uh, so I come walking through, and I, I see the women in there, and I'm like, hey, man, what are they doing in there? Can I go play? Because I love Pictionary. 
And uh, she was like, sure, go ahead. Uh, which was, that never happened. Like, the dudes and, and the women are not allowed to be in the classroom together by themselves, that kind of stuff. they got to be constantly supervised because people will fuck in the bathrooms, I'm telling you. And uh, but she was like, I don't know what it was. She didn't give a fuck that night. And she said, sure, go ahead. And I started it all. Just me being in there was enough for people. I guess somebody else walked by and like, what's he doing in there? Oh, they're playing Pictionary. Go ahead. And it just devolved. I mean, like, to the point at the end, men were going to the women's wing. Women were coming to the men's wing, going in the bedrooms. It was just fucking chaos, dude. Like, buck wild up in there. Like, I was just playing Pictionary. But everybody else was getting down. I mean, it was nuts. And the thing that got us busted was this dude who was in the um, the 42-day clean-out calls his wife. It's like, hey, baby, come on up here. You know, let's party at the rehab and bring me some beer or whatever. You know, like, come and give me some pussy, basically. Apologize if that word offends, but that's, you know, that's what's going on. She immediately calls the director of the place, and it's like, why is my husband calling me saying to come up there? I thought this, you know, I paid X amount of dollars for this. What I thought this was a, you know, a re- reputable facility. Well, he calls the fucking cops and the canines, and, like, they come busting up in there. Everybody's got to get down on the ground and fucking search the place. We all were trapped in our rooms forever, and they searched everybody, and, like, because most of the people in there are felons, and and there were some, like, two or three dudes got busted for having weed, or one guy had some heroin on him. You know, like, everybody was just calling their dealer and being like, hey, come bring me some so-and-so, because, you know, we had jobs and money and stuff. We just didn't have access to those people. But this, I mean, if you give them an inch, they take a fucking mile. And, I mean, it all started from me playing Pictionary. And those people lost their jobs. I think that dude relapsed. The the guy who was working the desk relapsed. And, uh, I mean, it was majorly fucked up. (laughs) It was real weird in there after that. Um, So I kind of decided it was time to go home. I had done my stuff, and and that's enough. Um, Returning to the world was, was frightening for me. I didn't want to go, but I, I had to. Uh, that's just so vulnerable, man. Once I got out, uh, I mean, it was immediate. I had to go from the rehab to the PO and get the bracelet put on. And that is the most fucked up shit. Like, it's a huge, unseemly thing. Uh, I don't know about nowadays, but back then the technology was pretty rough. And you, there are all these stipulations, like you had to have a dedicated phone line for it. Uh, could they give you like this triangle thing that you hook up to your phone and uh, like after they put the bracelet on and activate it they they say okay well you live this many minutes away from here you have that many minutes to get home and hook the shit up because we're gonna check and they did man as soon as I got home and plugged it up like it'll beep and stuff when they're checking on you Uh, and you only get like 75 feet I think around the perimeter of your house so you can go outside but only 75 feet away and I was like what if I got a mow the grass because I did have the moment you know that was my chore and he was like well you better fucking tell me ahead of time <laughs> you know like and at first 
uh, was different for me because I had been in the rehab for so long, but when you first get on house arrest, you don't have much, you can go to work and you can come home and you only have like 20 or however long it takes you to drive between those places. And that's it. Uh, but after, you know, some time goes by, you get weekend time, you know, 12 hours on Saturday or whatever that you get off. Well, I had gotten this, um, but I didn't have to do any of that, um, because I had been in rehab for so long. Uh, they kind of gave me, I think they gave me an hour ahead of work and an hour after work. And then, uh, on Saturday and Sunday, I got, uh, 12 hours. So I, I kind of got a pretty good deal when it came to that, but only because I'd done the rehab time. And also I was very, like I threw myself into NA. I was going to meetings like every day a week. Uh, I went to five or six meetings a week, sometimes twice a day. My poor mom had to drive me all the way to Tupelo for them and stuff. Uh, and so they were like, I mean, you're going to all these meetings without even being told. So, uh, cause that is part of it that's part of your sentencing is you have to go to meetings and stuff. So I was just so involved in that world, uh, and, and went to every function was just, you know, I mean, it's fun as far as, you know, a bunch of drunks and addicts hanging out. It was, it was fun. Uh, and you kind of learn how to be a person again, but the God stuff, it just always rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, but I had a third shift job. I got this job working at a trucking place, uh, washing trucks and parking them at night. Or second shift, I mean. So I worked from 3 to 11. So when I was on house arrest, I had 3 to midnight or something like that. Or 1 o'clock or something crazy where I could be out. And even on the weekends. Uh, and so I took advantage of that. Like I even would go hang out with my buddies and stuff. When they were partying for a little while and it was pretty apparent that I wasn't going to stay sober very long uh, but I finished the house arrest got the bracelet cut off and it wasn't long after that I mean maybe a month I don't know I was sober about a year almost a year over a year year and some change it wasn't long and I was drinking again, just like fucking right back into it, case a day, and I still have five years probation. Uh, I made it maybe two years, wasn't long, uh, got another fucking DUI, uh, and that was kind of it. They were like, you're fucked now, man, God, such a fucking idiot. But rehab sucks, dude. Don't go to rehab. <laughs> I mean, it's important if you're struggling, please go to rehab, but... That's just a taste of it, you know. And the one I went to was a nice one. I'm sure there are worse places to go. Uh, but there's more to it. But I just can't seem to get my head right right now to, to tell it all. Uh, but I had to record something that's just been so long. And I, was, I don't want to let y'all down. I don't want to let me down. I have to. Or my kids. Because if nobody's listening to this, they will one day. It'll be out there. Man, I don't even have a too tough to die. Just sometimes I don't feel it. Anyway, y'all have a good day. Take it easy. Later.